You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, I have to say it's an incredible gift to be preaching here today. Uh, I'm forever grateful for the six years that I was a member of this staff as a youth pastor. This community, you all really, have played a significant role in my journey as a disciple of Jesus Christ and as a pastor. This was the first job that I got at a seminary, and I remember thinking, I scored. This is awesome. <laughs> so I'm a different person uh, because of the teaching and the support that I received here, so thank you. You know, this past week I was driving behind a swerve car. You know those cars that 15- and 16-year-old students use as they learn to drive? And the noticeable student driver sign on the back of the car reminded me of an experience that I had as a 15-year-old. I'm not sure if my dad drew the short end of the straw, but he had the privilege of teaching my sister and me how to drive the two family cars, both of which uh, had manual transmissions. Now, I mentioned this little piece of information about both cars being stick shift because at the time I was intimidated by learning how to drive, you know, a car that has stick shift and also kind of all the things that you're tasked with as you're a new driver on the road. Well, my dad took me out for driving lessons on Sunday afternoon, and at first we started in the high school parking lot. So Sunday after Sunday, around the corners, stopping, starting. Then over the speed bumps, then I'd go faster, then he'd have me go slower, then I'd pull into a parking spot, then I'd need to practice backing out of the parking spot. And I felt like Sunday after Sunday, I was increasing in my confidence. So eventually my dad took me onto some side streets. And I felt like things were going well. I was inching toward that day of freedom, uh, the day when I was going to receive my driver's license. So one particular afternoon stands out to me because it was a game changer. My dad and I were driving on a series of side streets, and he suggested that I practice backing into a driveway. No big deal, I thought, because I've done this so many times in the high school parking lot. So I put the car into reverse, and I let the clutch out, and then stepped on the gas, kind of that little dance that you do, and then we headed back. And as we inched closer to one side of the driveway, um, my dad mentioned that I might want to straighten the car out. Uh, I did try to straighten the car out, but I was suddenly overwhelmed with all the things that I needed to do at once. So instead of straightening the car out, I veered more toward that one side, and instead of hitting the brake, I stepped on the gas, and before I knew it, I crashed into the rock wall um, in the neighbor's yard. And actually, it wasn't a neighbor, it was a stranger. I had no idea who this was. So I was surprised, and I was horrified. And I'll never forget my dad said to me, Well, okay. That was it. (laughs) He got out of the car. He went and kind of assessed the damage. And uh, I began to simultaneously burst into tears and then kind of plan my life as the girl that was never going to get her driver's license. (laughs) So my dad drove us home, and it was very quiet, except for his repeated invitations to drive to another location and continue our lesson. Aaron, you've got to get back on the horse. I mean, it's only going to become more difficult the longer that you wait. You're okay, and it'll be okay. Well, I would not be convinced. So as we pulled into the driveway, I still remember this. I hopped out of the car, and I ran as fast as I could, as far away as I could from that car. 
Uh, the farthest room in our house from the garage was the office. So I ran into there and I hid behind a chair in the office for over an hour. So my dad then came in to find me and he tried to coax me out from behind the chair with his getting back on the horse speech, but I would not be swayed. So my 16th birthday came and it went, and uh, it was a long six months before I got back into the car again. Now, I would like to say that this hiding incident was a fluke, that it's only happened this once, uh, but that would be entirely false. (laughs) The truth is that when things become difficult and when I feel defeated, my instinct or my default setting is to hide not always behind an office chair, but I have found other places to hide. This morning, we meet someone who, in the face of defeat, goes hiding. In the book of John, chapter 20, the chapter that precedes the encounter that we are looking at today, Jesus appears to all of the disciples, except for Thomas. And this is the first time that Peter has seen Jesus since the resurrection. So this is a huge moment. Jesus says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so now I send you. Then he breathes on them and he tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. Essentially, Jesus tells the disciples in chapter 20, I'm giving you peace and my Holy Spirit for the work that you need to do. I'm sending you as my Father has sent me. You have a new job. Go into the world and tell about what you've seen and what has happened to you. Go be my messengers. But one chapter later, our text for today, Peter is not in the mission field, spreading the news of the resurrection, telling other people about what has happened to him. No, we find Peter hiding in his fishing boat. So Jesus goes looking for Peter with a message. Peter... It's time to get back on the horse. Hear God's word from John chapter 21, verses 15 through 23. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Then he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. After this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this morning that you would help us to hear what it is that we need most to hear from you. 
Open your word that your truth would seep into the cracks of our lives, that you would nourish us, encourage us, and challenge us as we seek to follow you. Amen. The interaction that we just read is the first bit of time that Jesus and Peter have shared alone since Peter's denial of Jesus during the crucifixion. I can only imagine what this conversation must have been like. Jesus and Peter have logged some serious time together. They've endured a number of life-changing experiences, and now there's no place for Peter to hide. You might recall that Peter was not this disciple's given name, but the word Peter was a nickname of sorts that Jesus had given to this this disciple earlier in their friendship. And the name Peter is derived from the Greek word Petros, and it means rock. So Peter the rock is most often passionate, outspoken. He's the most extreme of the 12 disciples. And those unrefined roots of Peter and his fisherman lifestyle are often evident. And we wonder, what is this guy doing with Jesus? Often Peter's first impulses are quite good, right? It's Peter who jumps out of the boat, steps on the water, attempts to walk to Jesus, It's Peter who confesses that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. I mean, Peter is often the one who really gets who Jesus is. On the other hand, Peter's the disciple most likely to make bold and brash statements. It's Peter who asks Jesus, how many times, Jesus, do I have to forgive the same person? It's Peter who initially refuses to wash Jesus' feet. It's It's Peter who protests Jesus' plan to go to Jerusalem and to die. It's Peter who boasts at the Last Supper that even if every other disciple deserts you, Jesus, I will not. It's Jesus who tells Peter, it's Peter, excuse me, who tells Jesus before he's arrested, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. And to this brazen statement by the rock, Jesus responds, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And this is exactly what happens. While Jesus is being tried and crucified, Peter the bold and Peter the brave, Peter the outspoken follower, falls on his face in a bold, in an audacious, and in a very public way. And then Peter hides. So by the time we reach this intimate and personal encounter between Jesus and Peter in chapter 21, two big things have happened in Peter's life. Number one, Peter has suffered a huge fall. And number two, Jesus has given Peter a job to do. My husband, Chris, is originally from Kansas, and it's flat there. So he didn't grow up downhill skiing because it's less fun without the mountains. About 12 years ago, when he moved to Washington, he joined my family on the ski slopes for his first downhill adventure. And uh, on the first day of the slopes, Chris learned a lot about falling. In fact, on our ride home from Schweitzer Mountain, I remember Chris kind of categorizing the different types of falls that he had experienced throughout the day. The first type of fall, he said, is the stumble and catch. You stumble, you almost fall, but you don't. So then you kind of turn around and you look at what could have been but wasn't, and you just keep moving, keep going. The second type of fall is the trip and touch. You fall, but you're able to hop back up 
before too many people see you, and then you keep moving. You save some dignity on that one. Now, the third type of fall is the yard sale. There is equipment everywhere. It's loud, it's obvious, it's brutal. There are cheers from the chairlift, for sure. You've pulled some sort of muscle you didn't know you had. Uh, you're thinking you might wrap it up for the day, and you do have like a quick check to make sure all of your body parts are still attached. Now, skiers call this third fall the yard sale because at the end of the fall, your equipment is spread out all over the mountain, and it looks like you're hosting a yard sale of all used ski equipment. And this is the kind of fall that Peter has just had. It's ugly, it's big, it's left marks and wounds on him to such an extent that Peter has disregarded the commissioning that Jesus gave him the last time that they met. He's gone back to fishing. And it looks like he may be toying with the idea of quitting this whole Christianity thing. Perhaps the voices in Peter's head have begun to have their way with him. He's telling himself, you know, I never really fit in with this Jesus crowd. Maybe Peter is stuck in a pattern of thinking about how he's disappointed Jesus. Or perhaps he's feeling the weight of embarrassment after bragging about his strength in front of the other disciples and then falling so dramatically. We have all been in Peter's shoes. Where our weaknesses and our shortcomings get the best of us. For some of it, it may sound like, I am not cut out for this parenting thing. I don't know what I'm doing. It's so hard. I give up. For others of us, it sounds like, I've tried to get ahead professionally. I've given a lot of time, so much effort, so much of myself, and I still feel like it's not enough. Or maybe, I've blown it with this relationship. I cannot see a way forward. I continue to fall short. We've all been in Peter's shoes. Some of our experiences are quiet. They're barely noticed, but surely scrutinized and replayed in those criticism sessions in our head. Others' experiences are visible, and maybe they're quite public. There's shame and disappointment and even self-loathing. It's the yard sale kind of a fall. Everything's exposed, it's brutal, it's deeply disappointing. And when we fall, like Peter, we quit and we hide. As Peter hides from his failure in his fishing boat with his fishing buddies, Jesus finds him. And he pulls him aside and he asks the tender and probing question, Do you love me? That in the midst of Peter's struggle, Jesus himself comes to Peter and asks him a surprising question. A question not about his inadequacy, but a question about the state of his heart. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Two truths are present here. Truth number one is that Peter has failed to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Truth number two, Peter loves Jesus. But Peter can't think of anything but truth number one. I've blown it. I've been unsuccessful. I've been ineffective. The list goes on and on. Jesus wants to move him to truth number two. Peter is qualified to be a disciple of Jesus Christ because he loves Jesus. 
After Peter's total yard sale fall, Jesus doesn't try to help Peter process his actions or learn from his mistakes. I find Jesus' approach with Peter quite intriguing, especially in this season of my life as a parent of a five-year-old and a two-year-old. I might be inclined to respond something like this. Wow, Peter, this is a huge bummer. This is so sad. I mean, you're not a bad person, but you've made a really bad choice. How do you think this is going to work out for you? We need to decide on the consequences of your actions. Do you have any ideas? Maybe we could brainstorm some ways that you could make a different choice next time. And then maybe we could role play and practice to make sure you really get it. But Jesus is not concerned with identifying Peter's shortcomings and chastising him for it. Jesus is interested in hearing Peter's thoughts about why he failed. He's not interested. He isn't looking to hear a game plan from Peter as to how he's going to avoid stumbling in the future. Jesus asked Peter one question. Do you love me? Jesus' main concern is for restoring Peter. For helping Peter to see that he's qualified to do Jesus' work in the world because of the state of his heart. I've spent a good bit of my life working with groups of kids, ranging from preschool to adolescence. And one of my early lessons as a youth worker uh, focused on developing strategies that would keep students' attention when I was teaching, especially getting my students' attention. So with preschoolers, I might say, one, two, three, eyes on me, and then they would respond, one, two, eyes on you. Or I do a clapping pattern, and then they would respond with the same clapping pattern. Or if I was desperate, I would turn the lights off and then on. Now with mid-high students, it was a little different. I would say in a really strong voice, and a hush fell over the crowd. Or I would teach them to say with me, hush, splash, whoosh. But there were times when nothing else was as effective as an air horn. (laughs) If you've ever wondered, yes, an air horn will grab an adolescent's attention rather quickly. It's not an easy thing to get a kid's attention amidst a sea of distraction. But my first job as a teacher was to help students focus on me and the work that we needed to accomplish together. Now, focus might be Peter's biggest challenge. Peter was the one who courageously jumped out of the boat, walked toward Jesus on the water. But then he turned his eyes from Jesus to those terrifying waves that were crashing around him. He lost his focus, and then he began to sink. Peter was the one who protested when Jesus told Peter of his plan to go to Jerusalem and die. Peter's eyes moved from the work that God was doing to Peter's own understanding of what a savior should be. On the night of the crucifixion, when Peter was asked if he knew Jesus, Peter's eyes moved from the one he loved to the imminent threats and dangers of the crowd around him. In the passage we read today, even after the resurrection, when Peter's eyes are opened and he's finally able to receive Jesus' assurance, He still struggles to keep his eyes on Jesus. Peter asks the question in verse 21, Hey, Lord, what about that other disciple? What's he up to? Do I measure up? I mean, in a span of minutes, even seconds, 
Peter moves from this place of assurance to a loss of focus when he asks, hey, what about that guy? Again and again, Peter faces the same decision. And he has a choice to make. Will he focus on his fear or will he turn his eyes toward the one who will help him to take that next step? Will he focus on the harsh voices of the crowd or will he remember that Jesus has the last word? Will he focus on his failures or will he remember that it's not about his inadequacy? It's about the state of his heart. Will he focus on the comparisons with others? Or will he trust in God's call for his life? Jesus essentially says to Peter, don't look back and don't be held captive by your mistakes. Don't look around you and be consumed by comparison. Look at me. Focus on me. I'll help you to follow me. This Jesus who was wholly interested in Peter's restoration is the same Jesus who is interested in our restoration. He says to you and he says to me, don't focus on your failures. Turn your eyes to me and I will help you take the next step. Don't focus on the voices that comment and criticize. It's not about your inadequacy. It's about the state of your heart. Jesus says, look at me and focus on me and trust the call that I have for your life. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the assurance of your love in this story of Peter. We need to hear it, and we need to hear it in the face of our, our life, our fears, our comparisons, our relationships, our failures. God, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, trusting in the call that you have for our life. It's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.